Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, homemade listeners, it's Marty. To celebrate Rachel Ray's birthday this month, we wanted to air an encore episode of Homemade featuring Rachel and her husband, musician John Cusimano from last summer. I had such fun talking food, family, music, and memories with them. This is one of my all-time favorite episodes of Homemade, and thank you again to Rachel and John for allowing me into your home. There are new episodes of Homemade coming your way soon, but for now, I hope you'll enjoy my kitchen conversation with Rachel Ray and John Cusimano on this week's episode of Homemade. Happy birthday, Rachel. first day of school, I took a book, the teacher took it away because the other children didn't know how to read yet. And they took away my sardine sandwich. What? And they came back at lunch and I took it out of the bag and everybody made fun of me because it smelled. I went home hysterical crying. And my grandfather basically made fun of me and said, you have 10 fingers, 10 toes and a brain. He made me count my fingers, count my toes, knocked on my head and said, what's in there? I said, my brain. He said, well, you have 10 fingers, 10 toes and a brain. What are you crying about? Welcome to Homemade from All Recipes. I'm Marty Duncan. Author and passionate cook Pat Conroy once said that a recipe is a story that ends with a good meal. And he's right, because there's a backstory behind most great meals. It might be learning to cook with a special family member or cooking for a loved one. The first meal I ever made in life by myself was for my mom's birthday, and it was asparagus and a lasagna roll-up with a gorgonzola cream sauce. And I made the fabulous wine pairing of making her delicious mimosa to wash down her gorgonzola pasta. My guest today grew up with food roots in Italy and Cajun country. Rachel Ray needs no introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway. One thing you may not know is that she worked the candy counter at Macy's in New York City, and she also managed a pub in upstate New York before her big break. Of course, for decades now, she's been a fixture on our televisions with her namesake, Rachel Ray Show, 30-Minute Meals, and so much more. She also has the Rachel Ray Nutrish pet food line, and that's one of the first things I asked about when I connected with Rachel and her husband, musician John Cusimano, right at the beginning of the COVID-19 quarantine. Hi, thank you so much for such a warm introduction. I love Pat Conway. What a wonderful way to enter our lovely conversation. Welcome to our kitchen. <laughs> I love the wood countertops and the, the stainless and all the rich textures that you have in your home kitchen there. It's stunning. Well, thank you. Last week on the show, we did a walkthrough tour of our home. I drew this house that we're standing in right now on a piece of paper. I drew the main room here and the kitchen faces out into the rest of the house. And I can see every part of the house from one end to another. I can see the dining room and the living room all the way through to the great outdoors on the other end. And I did that because I live in the kitchen and I don't want FOMO in my own house. I don't want to have a fear of missing out on something. 
I mean, the party starts in the kitchen and it's such a shame when the cook or the party thrower is in the kitchen and everybody else is in another room having fun. So I want to transition into talking just briefly. For those of you who don't know, Rachel donated $4 million to relief efforts for COVID-19 and then her pet food company matched it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? The pet food company gave four million extra meals, about a million dollars. Okay. And since day one, gosh, about 15 years ago now, since we started a brand, John and I wanted to use the proceeds as a vehicle to collect money for philanthropic measures. Because we got married very late in life and we don't have children of our own, our first initiative was based on the needs of American children. We spent roughly a third of our funds on hunger relief, a third of our funds on lobbying and pursuing programs for better school food and access to school food programs 12 months a year for kids because that can be their only nutritious meal of their day. And then a third of our money we spent on scholarship programs with our partners at National Restaurant Association Educational Fund. So that's where it started and that worked out beautifully and it became a really lovely vehicle. We didn't have to have fundraisers or throw a lot of parties or put up ads for donations. We just had to make products that we believed in and loved. And it inspired us to do that for animals because we're animal lovers. We have a pit bull. My mother's rescued countless cats over the decades. And there was a point in this country where the animal food, pet food was not being monitored in any way. And a lot of families made their pets sick and were killing their own furry family members because the food was toxic. So we wanted to start uh, pet food literally out of need because we didn't know what to give our own animals and our family. So that alone has raised over 35 million so far for shelters. So what we did for COVID is split the money between humans and animal relief but we tried to build a patchwork quilt so that some partners like Share Our Strength, No Kid Hungry, were focusing on replacing school food programs. Right. Some partners like Feeding America, we wanted our money to be targeted to areas that were servicing seniors. You know, $4 million is nothing in this time. It's a drop in the bucket. But we tried to spread it out as evenly and fairly as possible with large organizations and smaller organizations to really pinpoint rural communities with very poor infrastructure and parts of larger city environments that were being underserved. That was our goal with it. But since day one, that's what we designed our brand to do. And it's really through the support of our customers. Well, I just want to say, I think it's amazing. And uh, what you guys have built and what you have done is amazing. And that you do it with a philanthropic heart makes it all the better. So congratulations and thank you from all of America. Like I said earlier, we think we know you. But I want to ask a couple of like kind of rapid fire questions. Okay. Things I'm just curious about. And you probably answered these all a million times. But before we get into the food part of the conversation, I thought it'd be a fun way to start. So what's your favorite condiment? I don't think I have a favorite condiment. I have a least favorite condiment. I have to make my own mayo. I like like vegan mayo, but there's something about shelf stable eggs that kind of freaks me out. So I love an aioli, but I prefer to make it from scratch. And I love salsa, but we usually make our own salsas. Right. So 
a little more work. It's not straight out of the bottle. But I love to mix up my condiments. Like I make my own barbecue sauce. So I use a lot of Worcestershire and apple cider vinegar. And I love to make my own special sauce for burgers. So I always have ketchup and sour cream on hand. I use sour cream instead of mayo for mine, so it's a little thicker. And I always have relish in the drawer. I make a lot of deviled eggs. Ooh, me too. I love them. Deviled ham, deviled chicken, deviled eggs, on and on. So I use a lot of yellow mustard, Frank's Red Hot. You know, I am a condiment-obsessed kind of a gal, and I have to say I'm an equal opportunity eater when it comes to the condiments. Well, tell me a little bit more about that salsa. I make guacamole, creamy guacamole, guacamole with crab, guacamole with chipotle. I make like a dozen different guacamoles. The two most popular base salsas, though, are salsa verde, roasted tomatillos, charred onions, charred garlic, charred poblanos and jalapenos peeled and whizzed up with lime juice and cumin and a little fresh cilantro. And then I make a fire roasted tomato, chipotle paste, red smoky salsa. I think those are the two most popular, like the two basics. And I make double batches every time I make them and I keep them in the freezer of the cooked salsas. And the other day we did divorced chicken or divorced fish, two sauces on fish that you just bake in the oven. We used halibut. Or you brown chicken in a cast iron skillet and put it up on top of the chicken pieces and put that in the oven to finish cooking it through. So you have half red and half green, one smoky, spicy, one mild salsa. Oh, nice. Really yummy. Do you do those, the ones that are not cooked, do you do them in a food processor or do you just chop everything? Guacamole, do by hand. The cooked ones I process. Yeah, the uh, fire roasted and the salsa verde I process. All right. What is your favorite bedtime snack? You know, when you can't sleep, what would you go and sneak to the kitchen and get? A glass of wine for me. My husband loves a panini. He loves a late night panini. I have a little panini press. I see it. And sometimes he'll literally wake me up and say, honey, it may be sandwich time. Time for panini. All right. I want to know this from both of you. What movie will you watch every time it comes on? Godfather 1 and 2 is both of our favorite movies. Okay. What do you always watch? Oh, he watches Groundhog Day. Oh, me too. (laughs) Groundhog Day. And Jaws. No, I can't watch Jaws or otherwise I can't go back to the beach. So I don't watch Jaws. I'm scared to go to the beach. I love Jaws. Um, Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. Okay, so no romantic comedies on your list of much. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Defending Your Life. Yeah, Defending Your Life is a great one. And Crazy Stupid Loves. And Crazy, crazy Stupid, Stupid Love. Crazy Stupid Love I love. Yeah, that's a good one. Terrific. So when you're in the car, what's the XM channel we might find you listening to, both of you? We've never been in the car in weeks. Howard, of course, of course. Both of us are Howard Stern fans. But music stations, I think, Lithium, Classic Vinyl and Spectrum, and the Beatles station. Yeah. You're going to find me on classic vinyl most of the time. You have an enormous vinyl collection. Oh, I do too as well. And I just unpacked mine from the 70s. When I was a teenager, I was a giant collector of vinyl. So I just unpacked all those and um, can't wait to listen to them again. Yeah, it's so much more engaging than just putting on an MP3. We or, still belong to record clubs. Our record of the month was uh, John Prine. My favorite John Prine song, Dear Abby. Have you, do you remember that one? Yeah. He had so many great and prolific and funny. He was so ironic. Amazing. And smart. All right, guys. So if both of you, this question for both of you, if you were forced to sing karaoke, what is your go-to song? I know yours. Yeah, Don't Stop Believing. Don't Stop Believing. But John has a band, so he doesn't need That's right. My favorite cover songs that he does with his band, though, he does an excellent rendition of The Chain. 
Oh, my favorite. They just did that on the show, so you can watch it online, I'm sure. And in an upcoming episode, they do David Byrne, one of my favorite artists, Talking Heads, live. They often close their shows with I Got a Feeling by the Beatles. Love it. Things great Zeppelin. They don't do many covers. They do rare, rarely they do covers because they have how many albums now of your own music? Original? Five or six. Yeah. He has so many albums of his own original music. But for his covers, he's he's bold. I love doing the uh, I Got a Feeling by the Beatles. I also love doing Jailbreak by Thin Lizzy. Yeah, Thin Lizzy. Tonight there's going to be a jail. I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh, yeah. I would have done a much better Stevie Nicks impersonation. I'm not that great on Thin Lizzy, but I do love that song. I just know you know who they are. That's, that's cool. I know who everybody is. If it's music, I'm into it. So a little bit about me. I'm a giant fan of classic rock and 70s music. And my very first job I ever had, I was a booking agent. And I booked bands oh, when I was in high school. We had sororities at my high school, and there were always like dances and lead outs and things like that. So I would book the bands. And so then I would go and I'd check them out. I was their agent. I was 15. I had a motorcycle. I taped them with a cassette recorder. Oh, Dude, you were that ass. How long did you make out with? <laughs> I'll never tell, but I've just been a giant music lover my whole life. So last year for my big birthday, I did a bucket list tour and I went to see as many bands that were out on the road still playing as I possibly could. I saw the Eagles. I saw Fleetwood Mac, Elton John. I saw one of Bob Seger's last shows. I saw, God, there's just, I can't even remember all of them. I saw so many, but that was so much fun. You know, we saw last year that I loved ELO. so much ELO. We had oh, I saw ELO too. Ooh. I love ELO. One of my favorites of oh, all time, Jeff so Lynn. Fun. Such a so great, fun. Such a great songwriter, Jeff. And Lynn. Jeff Lynn's amazing. And we were dancing and up on our feet the entire show. And we were with literally teenagers to people in their sixties. And to see the joy on all those different generations of humans. Everyone was so happy to be there. And partying and just loving each other and dancing together. It was so fun. So if you weren't going to be a cook, Rachel, what would you be? I would be a rock and roll drummer. She's got some rock and roll drummer skills, by the way. No, I do Literally, my dream job would be to, like, fill in for Taylor for the Foo Fighters if he's having, like, a cold or something. <laughs> you remember when Oprah, well, her big bucket list thing was to tour with Tina Turner? That's sort of my thing. Like, I want to be a background anything for, I don't even care who it is, just somebody fun, you know? You just be with the band, right? You yeah, are, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, what? when we're all out of this, we can take you on, on the road with the cringe, you know? I'm calm. I'll absolutely calm. We're not beyond that right now. Just, you know, we, you know, we can help out with the craft service quality. Yes. <laughs> you'll cook, you'll sing. All right. What's your favorite pizza topping? Y'all did, I know you make a lot of pizzas. Wow. That's a tough one. Like if you could only have one during this lockdown, what would you pick? I'm going to have to go with the whole sausage thing. Good idea. Entire world of sausage yeah, for you. Any, anything sausage. A, a, anything from soprasata to Italian sausage. I have a pizza named after me, and I make it for myself when I make pizza. But at the Harvest Restaurant in Queensbury, New York, they have the Rachel Pizza. And since I was 11 years old, and Phil, the owner, would let me sit at the bar, which was completely inappropriate, but I loved it. My pizza is peppers and onions, so sweet peppers and onions and hot pepper rings. Ooh, yum. That is literally my pizza. <laughs> 
All right. So Rachel, you've talked a lot about growing up in food and one of your first memories watching your mom in a restaurant kitchen. Our listeners would love to hear more about growing up in a family with so many good cooks in the kitchen. And the one big thing, I think your influences from your Italian and your Louisiana roots. Well, my mom's 85 and she worked in restaurants for 60 years. Wow. And when I was a little girl, my first memory was being on her hip and she had turned on the flat top, the griddle. And she was fighting with one of the purveyors and phones had cords then. So the part you're talking to was attached to the part that was on the wall. Right. She had gotten so whipped up, she was spinning around and around in a circle. So she had to unwind and put me down because I was on her hip. Right. She went to hang up the phone. I reached up to grab at a spatula to mimic her because she was always in the kitchen. And I grilled my thumb to the griddle. Mm -hmm. And that's my first memory in life is that uh, people, of course, can't see it because this is audio. But the scar on my thumb is kind of like my Harry Potter stamp for what would come. And when I was even younger than that, when I was at home, my first caretaker was my grandfather. And my grandpa had 10 children. My mom was the firstborn, the eldest child. And her responsibility was to help grandpa. And his primary responsibility was growing the food. And he was the cook of the family. My grandmother was the seamstress and the baker. And grandpa also worked 8,200 hours a week as a stonemason. Really? So he would tend his gardens literally by moonlight. And he would process and make all the food and then put it into his big wood-burning oven when he'd go to work and pull it out when he'd come home to check on the kids. And then he'd go back to work. I mean, he was an amazing man. And he was my best friend when I was little. He was my nanny, really. He was my, the child caregiver, you know. Isn't that amazing? I never got to meet any grandparents. It's so amazing that you have that legacy and that memory. What is one of your favorite dishes that your grandfather would make that you still make? Everything with fish that I make. My, it's very funny because my mother, she doesn't mind anchovies melted into oil, but she really doesn't like fish the way I like seafood. Grandpa would play cards with the Runzo boys, and I would sit on his lap, and they'd play Treset, Three Sevens, or Scopa which means to sweep. It's a card game too. I'd sit on his lap and he'd play cards with the Runzo boys and we'd have sardine sandwiches with onions. And I love sardine sandwiches with onions and I love spaghetti, aglio with tons of anchovies melted into the spaghetti. I love sardine spaghetti. I love puttanesca sauce, of course. All of those dishes remind me of him because that's part of the time that we shared together. And I write about that in my last book. I wrote a book when I turned 50 and there's a yeah, I have it. It's a great book. Thank you. There's a chapter called Sardine Sandwiches, Don't Making Friends. So my first day of school, I took a book. The teacher took it away because the other children didn't know how to read yet. And they took away my sardine sandwich. What? And they came back at lunch and I took it out of the bag and everybody made fun of me because it smelled. And I went home hysterical crying. And my grandfather basically made fun of me and said, you have 10 fingers, 10 toes, and a brain. He made me count my fingers and count my toes, knocked on my head and said, what's in there? I said, my brain. And he said, well, you have 10 fingers, 10 toes, and a brain. What are you crying about? And that's an important lesson to learn in life, to, you know, save your tears for when times truly deserve. And you really need them. That's right. Like now, so many people are upset about having to be at home and 
I mean, I can see why, if, especially if they've lost their jobs. That makes a lot of sense to me. But I hear a lot of people kind of whining about having to be at home. And I, to me, I think it's almost a little bit of a blessing because I'm doing so many things I never get to do. You have to try and make it into a blessing. I think blessings don't just happen. I'm sure some do by fortune or divinity or good juju in the universe or karma or whatever. But I think a lot of blessings, you can also kind of make a fertile environment for them. Wake up with a positive attitude, challenge yourself to do something that you've never done before. Look at things in a slightly different way and try and find something to be grateful for as early as you can in your day, every day. Right. I think that that's essential. When I get up, no matter how I feel or what the weather is. But to find something to be truly grateful for in that first part of the day, a moment that wouldn't have happened, something you can notice or feel or someone you can call or reach out to or write a note to, something positive that you can start your day with. That's what I mean by you kind of have to make your own blessings too. Yeah, just make a fertile place for blessings to grow. Yeah, sounds like you got a lot of that from your grandfather. I know that you have some Cajun roots also. My daddy's from Louisiana, and he can just burst out in Cajun and Creole accents, like heavy, deep. I have no idea what he's saying. But the funny thing about my folks is my mom is Sicilian and daddy's Cajun Creole. So strangely enough, those cuisines pretty much match up. It's a whole lot of spice. And the personalities certainly match up. Theirs didn't. They've been divorced for many, many decades now, but... But in general, a lot of laughing, a lot of food, volatile personalities. They're not quiet groups of people. No, and the shocking thing about Louisiana to me is that there's not anybody in Louisiana that doesn't cook. They're all good cooks. Every family's got a lot of good cooks, just like Italians. Anything in Italy, it's not the woman's job. It's everybody's job. And when you look at a lot of the world's great chefs are all men. It's so funny to me because the responsibility in the American mindset is that cooking was uh, the woman's place, you know? That's just not true in so many pockets of the country in so many cultures. Right. Everybody learns to cook. They take it seriously. From where my daddy comes from and my mom, cooking is uh, respected and expected from everyone. Every man and woman learns how to cook their cultural roots. You know, my dad makes great gumbo and stews and gumbo's air. Oh, that's my favorite. I love gumbo's air. Now, what's your favorite dish to make that you learned or were influenced from your father? I think I agree with you, the wash day, gumbo's air. But I love every gumbo and jambalaya. And one of the very first, the first 30 minute meal, and I made it on the radio, not on a TV show, that I did outside of a grocery store was for public radio. And I was making jambalaya, a 30 minute jambalaya in the studio. But my friend Joe, he said, my guest canceled, please. And I just work in Count Lobel, the market where he buys his food. He said, please come over and make something. I said, it's the radio. Nobody can see what I'm cooking. What are you talking about? And what am I going to cook on? The turntable? <laughs> it's like, we have a hot plate. I said, do you know how illegal that is? You're in the recording booth, for God's sake. Please, please. So I went over and thankfully the fire department didn't, didn't show up. Well, <laughs> so you've been making recipes with like uh, unique names ever since you started. That wasn't a new thing for you, Jambalaika. No, yeah. I, well, I married a man who's very punny too. We appreciate a pun. 
And my dad was always that guy. He, he still is. He's the guy who's always got some silly, goofy. My dad did too, Rachel. And still, some of the things that he used to say just cracked me up even now. He's been gone since September. But I t- some of those are just so funny and probably not funny to anybody but me. So one of the dishes that your mom taught you to make, were they all restaurant-inspired dishes? No, no, no. What we cooked at home, my mom loves French food. So we made a lot of Jacques Pepin. Piafrani, Julia Child. We would watch the Galloping Gourmet, the wonderful Graham Card. And my grandpa made all classic Italian fare, big roast fish or giant pans of mixed seafood in the oven with garlic, all the traditional pastas. We grew up with alla matriciana, pasta alla norma, puttanesca, aglio blah, blah, blah. I actually ended up with quite a well-rounded base in food because my mother was obsessed with French food and my grandfather was a 70-something-year-old Italian. (laughs) So... (laughs) We'll have more with Rachel Ray and her husband, musician John Cusimano, right after the break. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to Homemade. I'm talking with Rachel Ray. Rach, right now, everybody's cooking more than they ever have. And recipe websites like your website and allrecipes.com, they're so busy because people are cooking a lot for the first time. What advice do you have for beginning cooks who want to be successful in the kitchen? Everything that comes into the house, especially now, gets processed immediately. If the vegetable can be blanched, I blanch it and freeze it so I always have fresh vegetables. All produce goes into the kitchen sink. I fill the sink up and let it soak. I clean the leeks, I clean the carrots, peel them, trim everything and put it away clean and you'll use more of it. I portion all of the chicken, seafood, meat. We work in base four here because I cook for my mom and my sister who are close by and for us. So I put things away in fours, but if you put them away in ones, twos, fours, however many people you're feeding. I pre-portion everything, get the air out of the bag and get it in the freezer and mark it. I keep a freezer list. Every single thing that I make ahead and put in the freezer, I keep track of and when I use it, I exit off. So I always have an inventory. I learned that from you and my dad really needed me to cook for him when he was getting a little, you know, hard for him to get around. I was cooking for him a couple, two or three times a week. But what I learned from you was portion everything off, get a fish ready or whatever, put it on a flat surface, freeze it. And then when you go to cook it, it's so much faster. You have your veg ready, you have your fish ready, and you can go a lot faster. And cooking's not a chore because everything's already ready. I also think if you've never cooked in your life or you don't cook often, it's important to put yourself in a good mood, whether that's a cup of tea or a glass of wine or a cocktail 
or put on your favorite music, or you love the gentle hum of law and order, I don't care. But you should put yourself in a good mood. If you walk into the kitchen grumpy, your food's going to taste terrible, period. If you feel like it's a chore. I love that you've got the kitchen towel in your kitchen that says that's your happy place. Now, oh, yeah. Now, a friend of mine gave that to me a million years ago. It's falling apart. I swear I keep it clean. It's just old. <laughs> but... I think it really is your happy place. It's a place where I feel most comforted. You know, I think that that's why kitchens are so magic to me. I remember my grandfather. I remember different generations. I remember what it was like as a girl discovering the magic of a kitchen. And it's so important, I think, to get kids, no matter if they grow up to be rocket scientists or the next Jose Andres, into the kitchen because it's such a great peaceful thing to be able to feed your soul and other people. Cooking is about more than just the meal. It's about what it does for you emotionally. And seeing something transform from a pile of ingredients into this whole other thing is fun and magical. But to just know that you can provide for yourself and the people you care about there's a great sense of self well-being and being able to provide for people that is very gratifying on many, many levels. I have a great quote from you. You said, when you're cooking and feeding people, it's nourishment way beyond the food. And that's the truth. It feeds my soul more so than anything else. Well, I think for me, the greatest gift I ever was able to give to my dad was cooking meals for him that I knew he enjoyed when he was later in his life. He really couldn't do it for himself. And I'd make a plate and put plastic wrap over it and put it in the fridge. And I'd call him from the road or wherever I was. I'm like, hey, daddy, how was that fish? And he would say, oh, I loved it. You know, it just made me so happy to know that I could do that for him. It's the biggest of things. We feed my mom every day. And if she doesn't call and tell me, I'll tell you her funny expression for how to describe something as being delicious. But if she doesn't call, I get very upset. I'm like, oh my God, she didn't like it. And I'll call her when I'm done cleaning and I'll be like, mama, didn't you like it? Didn't you like it? And she's like, honey, I thought you were working. I just didn't want to disturb you. It was disgusting. And that's how my mother describes delicious. <laughs> she goes, well, that was disgusting. <laughs> and if my mother doesn't say it's disgusting, she didn't like it very much. And you like cooking with as much fresh produce as possible. Are you growing a garden if you are or if you're not? What summer produce are you looking forward to cooking? My husband buys all of our seed from an Italian seed company. ItalianSeedsAndTools.com. ItalianSeedsAndTools.com. So... We have San Marzano tomatoes and little cherry tomatoes. We grow tons of flat kale. Kale grows here through November. Peppers grow real well here. Green beans grow really well here. Fava beans have had good years and not so good years here. Celery grows great for us. Really? I couldn't grow it if I had to. Couldn't possibly grow celery. Celery does really well for us. Leeks do great. All the onion family does really well. We have trouble with asparagus. Haven't been able to get that up and running yet. But they say sometimes it takes four or five years to get that to work out for you. What are you most looking forward to making? Like what's your favorite go-to thing that you want to make every summer? We make tons of fresh gazpachos and salsas and things with the tomatoes, as well as just fresh cherry tomato versions of puttanesca or alametriciana or any of the basic you know, tomato basil sauce, on and on. We make zucchini everything, stuffed zucchini, stuffed zucchini flowers, Bolognese-style zucchini pasta with saffron broth and cream. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Walk me through that one real quick. Can you? Yeah, sure, of course. You start with guanciale or pancetta or bacon. Small dice. Let it sweat in the pan. 
add your zucchini, let the zucchini start to brown. You can do a dice or a little one inch scoop out the center if it feels seedy. Yeah, a lot of water, right? Right. It feels like it's got a lot of seed to it. Scrape out the middle first. I get the zucchini going. I bloom a fat pinch of saffron and stock to the zucchini. If I have ramps or leeks, I may add a little onion to it. This is unnecessary. I add chili flake and lots of garlic. And then I add the bloom stock to it and add a touch of cream. It's very traditional in sort of that middle to northern Italian arena area there. And I like to put a little fennel pollen in mine or a little fennel salt that I make with lemon and orange peel that I have on the counter here that my friend at La Boite mixes up for me. I hear you talk about it sometimes and I've never tried it. I'm encouraged now to try it. It's a light, bright, floral, almost citrusy flavor. It's licorice and citrus kind of married together. So I put a little sprinkle of fennel and citrus, fresh or dried, doesn't matter, into it. But basically it's saffron stock, Married with a little cream, creme fraiche, or even half and half. Married with zucchini and garlic and chili flake. I'm going to try that immediately. I've got a lot of zucchini growing in my garden, so I can't wait for that. You're lucky you can have a garden now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Some of my tomato plants are pretty big already. I mean, we're 70 degree days now, and it won't be long before it'll be 80, so. Oh, I love green tomato season, too. Yes. I love fried green tomatoes. We do, too. Love, 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 love. Yeah, and okra. A lot of people don't like okra. I know Italians like okra. I love pickled okra. I love fried okra. The only thing I don't like really is like mushy. Stewed. Right. Yeah. If you let it cook too long and it gets kind of snotty looking, I don't No, I hate it. <laughs> no, I, I hate it. I cooked vegetables in general. So. But I love pickled okra and I super love fried okra. Oh, me too. We used to fight over it like candy. My mother never made enough. Oh. I absolutely adore fried okra. I grew a big batch of it, so it won't be long. Rachel, I know this is like asking you to pick your favorite child or dog, as it were, but we've written how many cookbooks? 20-something cookbooks. 26. 26 cookbooks. Which one is your favorite and why? And I think I know the answer, but because we talked about it a minute ago. Well, 50, for sure. Because it has all the stories. Because it's the first time I sat down to to write essays and stories and not just recipes. I loved it. I think it's a great book and I love the stories. Thank you. Because it's what makes the food so special is knowing where it came from. I worked really hard on it and I tried to only be positive and give people things to make them feel better and to show my gratitude for the life I've had in my first 50 years. It was a gratitude project, really. That's how it started. I love that. But to make it funny and relatable and to share with people all the awkward moments and that not everything always works out perfect. And I tried to keep it real, but keep it positive in its message because that's the way I feel about my life. I'm just so deeply, deeply deeply grateful. So Rachel, do you have a bucket list? Like, is there something that you've marked off that you're really happy about? And what is one thing you still want to accomplish? Well, I have a lot of things I've only half accomplished. Like just coming up here, I thought, well, it'll be a lot of quiet time. I can become an accomplished painter to some extent. And my husband bought me all these easels and paints and things. Haven't opened them because all I'm doing is working. I bought from my favorite bookstore, The Strand, 10 new books that I wanted to read that were on my list. Not there, having done it. I wanted to go into John's studio and practice and try and master the drums. Quite honestly, it's kind of life is normal. I'm writing and cooking. 
I have done a lot of things that were surprisingly relaxing and happy for me, like jumping out of airplanes. I love and I would do it every day if I could. Really? I do it every single day. No, no, no. I'm not jumping out of any planes. I'll let you have that I one. I love it, love it, love, love, love it. Love it. Oh my gosh, that is that's amazing. I had no idea. I love it. All right. So Rachel, I want to know this from you and from John. What is your guilty pleasure? The thing that you sneak to get that you can't wait? Like mine's ice cream. I, I'm going to have ice cream. We don't really feel guilt about food, I don't think. It doesn't have to be food though. It could be a thing. I don't feel guilt about the stuff that makes me happy, but I guess other people would say like my guilty pleasures are like Tom Jones. <gasps> really? And Abba, yeah. Tom Jones was my first crush, and when I was a little girl, I hated wearing dresses. Me too. The only thing I put a dress on for was the Tom Jones show because I thought Tom could see me. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God, I love Tom Jones. I've got his out. Al- one of my albums in my collection, I bought my very first album I bought was a Tom Jones album. This is Tom Jones. Dude, I have that album. Wah, 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 la, la. The first song I learned every word to. I'm not even kidding. Do you know how inappropriate it is for like a five-year-old little girl to wander around singing the most misogynistic song in the history of music about how Delilah cheated on Tom? He stabbed her and it was her fault. <laughs> Why did she do it to him? And that was the first song I learned all the words to. Not Wheels on the Bus, Delilah. Delilah. I love it. That's awesome. My grandpa would take, I called it the blueberry chair, but it was really a chair with blue roses on it. I called it blueberry chair. And he turned his blueberry chair backwards and he would watch me instead of Tom Jones because I would stand in the middle, put on my dress, dance with Tom and try and sing along with him to whatever he was doing. And for my grandpa, I was the show for the Tom Jones show. Oh, how fun. For me, it was the Osmond Brothers. Oh, Johnny's such a sweetheart. And then uh, Tom Jones came to our house for a rabbit catchatory because rabbit's his favorite. And John's sitting in the kitchen, standing in the kitchen next to me, and he goes, can you stop bringing your crushes home to our apartment? <laughs> not fair. I don't get to bring Salma Hayek home to our apartment. So why do you get to bring Tom Jones home to our apartment? <laughs> yes, because what every man loves Tom Jones too. Of course. No, I this, love no, no, amazing, this, is, but... this is so funny. So the other day, just two days ago, uh, yeah. two days ago in this kitchen on Zoom, Curtis Jackson, 50, was my interview. And he is my current, like, hugest of hugest celebrity crushes. So now, that's literally, I'm sorry. I got nothing. Was, I mean, I'm so sorry. It's so embarrassing. And John made cocktails. I think it's awesome. And John made cocktails with his brand of champagne and cognac. And we were toasting him drinking his liquor at John's house. We need to get Penelope Cruz on this thing tomorrow. John, John needs some FaceTime with some of his crushes. But Curtis... Listen, I'm half joking. I just have tremendous respect for him. And he's always been so kind to us. And he was supposed to be our closing act this year. Our guest at South by Southwest. Southwest. He was our closer. Right. Curtis is a very mindful person. He's brilliant. And he's always been so kind to us as a brand and a show. And he was supporting us at South by so it was great to have him here at home with us. Rachel and John, thank you so much for being on the Homemade Podcast. And we have loved getting to know a little bit about you. Thank you for welcoming us into your kitchen and into your lives. And again, thank you so much for all you've done for America with your generous, generous donation for the COVID-19 response. So thank you again. Thank you for having us. It was so much fun. Mm-hmm. 
Rachel's latest book is called Rachel Ray 50, Memories and Meals from a Sweet and Savory Life. Her website is rachelray.com. That's Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, ray.com. And she's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Look for her magazine, Rachel Ray in Season, on newsstands everywhere. the first time you've listened to the homemade podcast we've got so many other great interviews for you look back through the playlist and you'll find conversations with the one and only guy fietti carla hall miss patty labelle chef john justin warner and so many more there's just so much culinary wisdom and tips packed into each episode please let us know what you think rate the podcast and leave us a review i'd really appreciate it And don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This podcast was recorded in Birmingham, edited in Atlanta, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Homemade is produced by All Recipes with executive editor Jason Burnett. Thanks to our Pod People production team, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Tanya Ott, and Maya Croft. Thanks for listening. I'm Marty Duncan, and this is Homemade. Homemade.